Uh, so we're going to begin tonight um, in chapter 15, verse 22. Um, I'll turn back and read from 14, but y'all, don't, y'all can turn there if you want to. It's not far, um, not, not hard to find. Um, but we're going to be reading from 15:22 through 17. Um, and you'll notice there's a, a pretty um, similar theme, um, pretty similar thread that is going to be followed throughout these chapters, throughout these episodes. And, and the next few episodes of our Exodus story are really previews of a much larger narrative thread that's going to show up in the whole book of Numbers. Really, the book of Numbers is all about this. And honestly, if you read the Old Testament in general, um, Judges especially, um, and and the stories of the kings of Israel and Judah, this is a theme that comes up over and over again um, as the nation of Israel, um, after having just experienced so many amazing things, um, as they start to drift Away and, 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 you know, it shouldn't be that way, right? And, and to open, to turn the page from some of the greatest events in history and to have this conversation about drifting away, it, it seems just, it should surprise us. It, it should be completely, um, you know, just, just out, of, out of even, you know, imagination for us. But honestly, um, it's not that surprising because, not just because we know the stories, but also because we know our own stories, right? Um, and we'll get into that in a minute. But, uh, you know, we've just come off of Israel being miraculously saved and delivered from Egypt. And you know it's a big deal um, when there's already a song that has been written and sang about it, right? Um, you know, songs often kind of, you know, in movies or whatever, when something big happens, the characters sing and they, you know, they, they celebrate what just happened. And, and as they're crossing the Red Sea, God is inspiring Moses and the nation is singing out as to what, um, giving God praise for what has happened and what is going to happen. So, I mean, if you read the story and you come up to chapter 15 um, and you read through the, the song of Moses, I mean, clearly they're riding a wave, right? Not riding, they're actually walking between the waves, but they're riding the wave of success. They're walking on cloud nine. I mean, it cannot get better, right? And can you imagine life ever getting, ever being challenging or, or, or frustrating for these people? They have seen so much. They've went through so much. They've came through so much. I mean, clearly, clearly they have nothing to worry about. They have nothing to fear. They have so much going for them because God is on their side. They're never going to doubt God again, right? They're never going to worry again, right? I mean, because, because honestly, they've seen God has proven Himself greater than the gods of Egypt. He saved Israel with lamb's blood. He's parted the Red Sea. I mean, if anybody is ever going to be able to have confidence in God, it's the nation of Israel from this generation, right? I mean, that they've seen that God has proven Himself to be stronger, greater than any other God, any other religion, any other nation. He's proven Himself to be powerful enough to save the nation, pardon the nation from its sin through lamb's blood, right? Sparing the firstborn of, of Israel, right? He's parted the Red Sea, brought them all across on dry ground. I mean, why would they ever worry or doubt Him again? I mean, clearly, if God did it once, He can do it again, right? I mean, if God parted waters before, He can do it again, whether it's literally or metaphorically, right? I mean, if God can bring you up to the sea, uh, uh, to a great sea, and literally part the waters, I mean, what situation in life can He not bring you through? Amen? I mean, if He can part the ocean, I mean, there's nothing He can't take care of. I mean, if He can crumble an empire and bring you out from slavery, I mean, what situation can He bring you free from? So clearly, if he did it once, he can do it again. And even if he doesn't, 
He's still God, right? I mean, even if He doesn't always set you free, even if He doesn't always part the waters, I mean, He's still God, and if we're still His, we'll be okay, right? So you'd think, you'd think that Israel would never worry, doubt, or drift again. But that's not how it works, is it? And that's definitely not how it works for us. And that's not how it worked for Israel. Not because God didn't do it once. He did. We have record of it. Not because He couldn't do it again. He would do a lot of stuff again and a lot of stuff for the first time for the nation of Israel. But the reason why it didn't work that way and the reason why it doesn't work that way is because we always err on the side of doubt not faith. Isn't it true that it given two options, given two directions to, to drift in one or the other, we somehow, some way, always go toward doubt, not faith? Not because it's the sensible thing to do, no, because it's the sinful thing to do. And that's what we're good at, right? Now, that's not to insult anybody or to offend you, right? Right off the bat. It rhymes, so usually when you make something rhyme, it's easier to digest. I've learned that. But isn't it true? Isn't it true that we err on the side of worry? We err on the side of doubt? That's because that's what our flesh is good at, right? We don't err on the side of believe. It turns out we got a preview of this back in chapter 14. If you'll remember, when they came up against the Red Sea, um, when, when they were marching, the, the Scripture says they were marching boldly out of Egypt. Um, when they came up to the Red Sea, when they saw that they uh, were coming against a roadblock and they could hear and they had reports that Pharaoh's chariots were coming their way, the Scripture says that when Pharaoh drew near, and the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and in front of them was the water, behind them was the armies of Egypt. They said to Moses, they were terrified, they were very afraid, and they began to cry out to the Lord, and they basically say to Moses, listen, did you bring us out here because there wasn't enough room to bury us in Egypt? I mean, did you just bring us out here to humiliate us? Did you bring us out here just to make a mockery of us, right? We trusted you, and we followed you out here, and now we've got a water, an ocean in front of us, and an army behind us. I mean, it would have been better that we remain slaves than us die in the desert. So they were already ready to panic just a few miles into the journey, weren't they? But let's not beat up on them too much. How many times have you panicked under pressure? You don't have to be honest about that in church, but God knows, right? So don't lie. How many times... Have you panicked under pressure? How many times have you forgotten what God can do or has done because you were afraid? How many times have you complained because you were in a crisis? Too many to count, right? Too many times to remember, and we complain to whomever will listen. And in today's world of social media, we can complain even when someone doesn't want to listen, right? And we definitely complain to God. We forget what He has done. We panic because of what we're facing. And we throw our faith away, don't we? This is a thread that you're going to follow throughout the history of Israel. Really, you could follow it throughout the history of, of the world. As we spoke earlier, 18 years after a, a day that brought the nation to its knees, we forget still, don't we? We panic, don't we? We complain, don't we? Even though we have plenty of proof of what God can do and what God will do, we still forget. We still complain. We still panic. We still doubt. 
But over and over again, these episodes also serve to reveal the overwhelming goodness and patience of God. And rather than looking at us and saying, how many times are you going to fail me? How many times are you going to just you know, completely panic and forget and, and complain? Rather than saying, I'm done, God overwhelmingly continues to show His goodness when we don't deserve it. So this isn't a message that threatens us, but it's a message that should, by all means, humble us. Let's, let's, let's look at this first episode, 15, 22 through 27. Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness, and they found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. So they called it what they described it as. It was bitter water, so they called the place bitter. The people complained. You should underline every time we see the word complain tonight, because you're going to see it a lot. The people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now, you know, as a pastor, sometimes I get, you get wearied people asking you questions, but man, Moses had it rough. I mean, Moses had thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that were always complaining, right? And then someone had the bright idea that he should just take everybody's complaints one by one. And then his father-in-law said, Moses, you are going to go crazy. And he's like, don't worry, I've already went crazy. I'm just holding on now. But that's to come. Moses is hearing the people complain and, and, and murmur, what are we going to drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast the tree into the waters, the waters were made sweet, and he made a statue and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And listen to this kind of foreshadowing statement. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight, give ear to His commandments, and keep all His statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam. There were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. Now hear how God kind of charges them and you know, threatens them even. After they just complained, after they just doubted if he could provide for them or not, he provides for them, he turns the bitter into something sweet, he takes the water that was undrinkable and makes it drinkable, and then he warns them and says, if you heed my voice, if you obey me, if you trust in me, you won't go down the same road the Egyptians went down. And here's what I think God is trying to say. What was the downfall of Pharaoh? What, what do we see repeated all throughout the story of Exodus? Every time Pharaoh witnessed God's power and he chose not to trust in God, what happened to Pharaoh? Exactly. His heart was hardened. Right. Had nothing to do with obedience. It had everything to do with he witnessed God's power over and over again. He refused to repent. He refused to believe. And he grew numb to God's power. Right? God is warning the Jews that if they likewise walk back their faith after benefiting from the Lord, their hearts would be hardened as well. They are accountable. I mean, they saw the waters part, right? They saw the lamb, the Passover lambs, uh, what it did for them. They saw the plagues and how they were saved from them and how Egypt was judged. They are so accountable. As the water was bitter, so their hearts would become bitter as well. And I don't need to, I don't think this is news to y'all tonight. Bitterness is a deadly, deadly, toxic disease. And here's what's really bad about bitterness. Here's what is really threatening and, and, and just so 
hostile about bitterness. Bitterness allows entitlement to overshadow gratitude. Bitterness says, I wanted it done that way, so I'm not happy or thankful with the way it was done because I'm expecting it to be done my way. See, bitterness, bitterness failed to receive blessings with a humble heart, and we demand more and more, right? When bitterness is not, when we're not thankful, when we're not, wow, look at what God has done, I receive it. When we don't receive what God has done with gratitude, we will become bitter. And when we become bitter, we become entitled, and we get angry when it doesn't happen the way we wanted it to, and we begin to grow apart from God. All these things, pride, bitterness, a hard heart, they all stem from a lack of trust in God because when we don't trust in God, we aren't thankful for what God gives us. But here's what I think the text is really, really trying to say to us in a not-so-subtle way. Eventually, eventually we all to always err on the side of faith, not pessimism, not doubt, not unbelief. Eventually our new nature should be quick to believe, not slow to believe. We ought to err on the side of faith, hope, and confidence because it reflects a lack of true faith for us to always be so negative, so doubting, so full of unbelief. When it comes to our walk with God, obedience is going to require that we err on faith and not on doubt. Again, eventually this is going to lead us to a place of having very hard and bitter hearts. And when we don't get what we want, we get angry at God. How many of you, right? We've been angry at God because we didn't get what we wanted. We expected God to respond to what we wanted rather than us responding to what God wants. And God's proven Himself to be good and worthy of our trust. So why would we ever ever reverse the tables? It's setting us up to be very disappointing with God because here's what happens. When we think that God should respond to what we want, when we aren't thankful for how God leads and how God directs and how God you know, plans, and when we get, we get kind of bitter about, hey, I wanted it done this way, we become disappointed in God. Even though we've actually turned from Him, we've convinced, we're convinced that He's turned from us. And again, this leads so many people, so many churches are disappointed by God because we think God hasn't done what He said He would do. When God is doing it the way He's going to do it, and He wants us to get on His page. And isn't it true that we can, we can kind of get to this place of, I've done everything I know to do. I've been obedient. I've served. I've been faithful. I've given. I've, isn't it true that we, we kind of become like the Pharisees? And wasn't that the problem with the Pharisees had with Jesus? We studied this the other night. The Pharisees, they were trying so hard to prove their worthiness to God, and they were so disappointed that Jesus didn't pay them any attention. Here Jesus is just healing and doing miracles to all the people that weren't looking for God, and here they are looking for God, and God doesn't show them any regard. But what did Jesus tell Nicodemus about how God was bringing people or reconciling people to himself? Jesus told Nicodemus, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him. Nicodemus was trying to behave and trying to do it his way and trying to earn some sort of, you know, some sort of reward. And Jesus says, that's, that's not what's going on here. And then he says this. He explains the whole serpent thing. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish 
but I have everlasting life. And we know that so well. But do you know what God is trying to tell us here? When Jesus was given, what happened when God gave Jesus for us? Our sins were taken away. Our sins were forgiven. Our sins were removed. So here's what this all is trying to say to us. Our sins don't separate us from God anymore. Unbelief does. Nobody goes to hell because of sin. Because sin was paid for in full, right? We, we don't believe in limited atonement, right? We believe in unlimited, total atonement. Jesus died for every sin. So sin doesn't send anybody to hell. Sin doesn't separate anybody from God. Unbelief does. And you can get technical about it and say, well, yeah, sin's still there. Yes, sin's still there. But why is sin still there? Because they don't believe. So we don't behave our way in. We trust our way in. And trusting in Him is how we remain in. If we forget this, we are liable to become bitter and very hard-hearted. We will grumble when things don't go our way when we should be trusting so that God's way might come. Right? So this, this whole little detour that we've took for the last few minutes is about learning to trust in God's way, not becoming bitter when we don't get our way. They were angry as soon as they got a few miles away from the Red Sea. They forgot about the miracle and they were focused on what they wanted. And when they didn't get it the way they wanted it and the way they thought they deserved it, they complained and God said, Listen, y'all, it's going to be a long trip. This can be a 14-day journey or a 40-year journey. Which one do y'all want? We can, get the, we can get there in two weeks. And that's how long it took them to get to Kadesh Barnea. We can get there in two weeks or we can get there in 40 years. I got all the time, y'all. I got all the time in the world, in the universe. Y'all don't. Now, I think we know how that story ends, but this is so important. Remember when Jesus showed up and, and they didn't believe, what, is this, what does the gospel tell us? On one occasion, Matthew writes, He did not many works, mighty works there because of their unbelief. So why is it all about faith? You might wonder, why is it all about trusting in God, letting God do it His way, not panicking when He doesn't go our way? Why is this so important? Faith activates God's power. It doesn't rely on our power. It doesn't rely on my power, which may be there on some days, but honestly, it's not there on most. So why would I ever want it to ever be about me? Romans 4.16 says, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all. God uses this time in Israel's history to ingrain into their minds, to etch onto their hearts that it's only by grace that they'll make it. It's only by faith in His power that they'll make it. If they take an ounce of the work into their own hands, they'll add another year around the mountain, another year in the desert. Because God isn't going to become renowned to the whole world by merely helping Israel. He's going to become renowned to the whole world by saving Israel. God is not in the partnership business. He's in the saving business. God doesn't want to just come every once in a while and say, oh, do you need some help? He wants to be the one and all powerful, sovereign Savior. He doesn't share His glory. And why would we want to get in His way anyway when only His way is best 
God is going to make this even more clear in the next chapter, the next episode, and this would actually be something that he would repeat. And for the next 40 years, six days a week, he is going to show his faithfulness to them over and over and over again so that they would learn to trust him. And here's the thing. If they would have learned to trust him, it wouldn't have been 40 years. It would have just been 14 days. But because they didn't learn, he continued to teach them. Because God does not quit trying to teach just because we, tr- we, we don't get it the first time, which is a very merciful thing about God. Let's read chapter 16, verse 1 through 12 as we are introduced to this next episode. They journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to him, All that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate the bread to the full, for you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. It was thirst, now it's hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. Now, if I was God and my children were complaining at me because I didn't feed them the way they wanted to be fed, I don't think my response would be, I'm going to rain bread down from heaven. I would be angry, but that's the good thing that I'm not God and that Yahweh and Jesus is, right? God said, I'm going to rain bread from heaven. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. It shall be on the sixth day that shall prepare which, that which, uh, what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. That'll come back in a little bit. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. He hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? So Moses is thinking, I don't know why God's being so good to everybody, because all you all do is complain, but yet he's still good to you. This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to the, eat in the evening and the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints, which you have made against Him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. And Moses is trying to say, this shouldn't, God should not be this good. But he is. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord. He has heard your complaints. So that's like the fifth time we've read complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spake to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaint of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, in the morning you will be filled with bread, and you shall know... Remember that from Pharaoh? You shall know that I am Yahweh is the Lord your God. So God is being very nice, isn't he? They're complaining and complaining and complaining and they are not letting up. And God said, I'm going to teach y'all a lesson and you'll be so better off if you get this. We need to stop grumbling and start numbering, as in counting our blessings. We need to stop complaining and start celebrating what God has done. And that sounds so simple, but isn't it so, it, wouldn't it be so, so empowering? Wouldn't it change our attitude if we did this? Count your blessings, spread the good news, make known what God has done. It doesn't have to be in a public, flashy way, but at least in a private, personal way. Acknowledge what God has done. Give Him intentional praise. Because listen, this is not about idolizing what you have. It's about worshiping God. 
Because more important than having enough is remembering that God is enough. This is not just about making their bellies full. It's about teaching them that God is enough. Let's read the next part. So it was that quails came up at evening, covered the camp. In the morning, the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person, which is a measure of, of, of food. According to the number of persons, let every man take to the, for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, and who ga- he who gathered much had nothing left over, he who ga- gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, Let no one leave anything till the morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until the morning, and it bred worms and sank. And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. So it was only there for a little while. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two almers for each one. All the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. So what is God doing? God is training them every morning, hand to mouth. This is about today, not tomorrow, except for just the the seventh day. We'll get to that. This is about every single day, hand to mouth. You're not saving any for later. You're getting what you need today, and you're eating it today. There's no guarantee there's going to be anything tomorrow. There's no guarantee. Unless I rain it down, you're not going to have it. There's no cupboard. There's no refrigerator. There's no savings. There's no storage. It's what I give you today. And if I don't give you any tomorrow, you're toast. But if I do, you'll be fine. Every single day, God is wiring them. Every time they pick the bread up, every time the quail flies in and roasts itself for them, right? God is training them. He's wiring them food to mouth to remember God is faithful. When the quail comes in and they get enough for the night, God is faithful. When the donuts come down in the morning, God is faithful. You can't save any, you can't store any because you're not going to be able to get away from this reality, this reminder that God is faithful. See what God's trying to do? Later on, Moses preaches a sermon on this, Deuteronomy. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess. So the idea of growing and progressing in the land the Lord swore to give to your fathers. You shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years. So he says, remember how God taught us this? How God disciplined us? That he may humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So how did God wire them for this? He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers know, because it was of heaven. So what is Moses saying? God let y'all have to depend on Him every single day. You had to get up and you had to expect it to come out of heaven because if it didn't, we're, we're doomed. That he, might make no, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. So this was not about the bread. This was about faith. 
Right? Because they were going to get to the promised land and God wasn't going to feed them every day. It were, they were going to have to work hard, right? And, be, and, and, and save and do the right thing and you know, make sure they were disciplined and, 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 and responsible. This was not going to be about bread forever. This was about faith forever. And this is driven home even further in 22. 23 through 30. Then he said, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, the holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will, bake today, bull what you will, bull, and lay it up for yourselves, all that remains to be kept until morning. This was just a one day a week thing. So they laid it up till morning, Moses commanded, and it did not sink, nor were there any worms. Then Moses said, eat that today, for today it is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you will gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it will happen that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. The Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, He gives you on the sixth day for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. God instructed them to take a day off because it forced them even more to trust on him, trust in him, right? They're already having to depend on him day after day, but then they had to hold their breath because if he doesn't give us enough today for the next two days, we're really in bad shape. Because again, they had no refrigerator, they had no cupboards, they had no savings. Because there are some things, if you don't make a habit out of it, you won't even remember it. So God is training them to hold their breath for two days. We saw this a few weeks ago, but this is back against the wall. Who's going to provide for us tomorrow? Who's going to give us what we need tomorrow? God is. So what is our prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Not give us today enough to last forever because I want to make sure I have enough and I don't have to worry. Give us this day our daily bread. God, don't give me too much today to where I don't depend on you tomorrow. Don't give me too much this week because I might not depend on you next week. Say, well, what's the alternative? It's putting all of your faith on God. Do you see what He's doing? He's inviting us. He's encouraging us to put that kind of pressure on Him. He can handle it. He's not saying, oh, 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 don't trust in me like that. I can't handle that. He's asking you to put it all on Him. And even on the sixth day, He's saying, hey, bet the entirety of tomorrow on me. If God's invited you to trust Him, it should tell you that it doesn't matter if you're wearied or not. It doesn't matter if you think you need to or not. God is trying to tell us something. There is power that we can't access any other way. God shouts to them that He's provided them a place for rest. He sees us laying down without a pillow, without a comforter, and He's literally shouting from heaven, Why are you so stubborn? I won't read it for a time, but 17, 1-7 is yet another example of the people complaining because they don't have any water. And this time there's not any water to purify. There's just nothing. So God literally tells Moses to take his stick and strike a rock, and this rock would spout out water. And tradition tells us, and the Jews seem to tell the story, that this rock literally, miraculously, would always be there for Moses to strike and the water to spew out like a fountain, like a spigot. 
These three episodes of grumbling, all with three humbling lessons. Trust the Lord. Before I quit, I want to show you how Paul takes these three episodes and brings them to us as Christians. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They ate the same spiritual food. They drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the rock that followed them. He, Paul says this rock was a picture of or proof of the Messiah to come. But you all know how this ended, don't you? Just to spoil the whole story. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Why? They refused to be humbled. They continued to grumble. They fumbled a sure victory, and an entire generation stumbled away. There was no reason why they shouldn't have marched into the promised land. They had all that they needed. And then some. But they kept grumbling because it wasn't done their way. And as it, it, like a quarterback that had the goal in sight, they fumbled the ball and they stumbled away. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil like they did. Now, what does that mean? How did they desire evil? By not wholly desiring God. It wasn't about sin. It was about unbelief. Satisfying the unbelief with an alternative, with a substitute, by trusting in somebody else or something else. By receiving from God with an ungrateful heart. By responding to God with a bitter heart. Listen, learning to receive from God's hand is so important. Taking from God's hand as if it's exactly what you need, how you need it, when you need it. And responding to God like Job did when he lost everything. The Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be His name. But they didn't have anything taken from them at all, did they? Except their will. Let me ask you this. What gain is there in complain? I, I know things don't always make us happy and things don't always please us and things don't always make us completely confident that it's always going to be okay. But there's no gain in complain, is there? And I'm telling you, if you don't nip it before it gets out of control, you'll never even see the... You'll, you'll never see it's possible. Never appreciating what God gives, never accepting how He gives. If we don't first and foremost begin to praise God for what He's given, we'll never accept how He's given it. And we'll become so bitter and we'll become so ungrateful. And this ingratitude will become bitterness and it will ingrain itself its way into our hearts. 
Accepting His way is as important as appreciating His gifts, trusting and surrendering to His way. This is why we come to roadblocks in our relationships. This is why there's some marriages that people just come to this roadblock and they look at each other and say, I'm not, I'm not happy with you. You're not happy with me. We're not going to look to God and say, hey God, I'm thankful for what I got, not for what I don't have. And then we don't do that. We don't get anywhere, right? And whether it's relationships, efforts to serve, work, church, whatever, this is why we become entitled and bitter, spoiled and rebellious. And that's why we fall away. We must not put Christ to the test, as some did, nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So moral of the story. To tie all this together. Every day is an opportunity to trust or fuss, humble or grumble. Some of us, we don't make it till 9 o'clock, and we're already fussing. Right? And that's, that's me, it's you, it's all, it's all of us, right? We fuss and we grumble, and I'm telling you, once we start doing it, 40 years goes by. We can do it God's way by faith and grace, or we can do it our way by fussing and grumbling and become bitter and become hard-hearted and close ourselves off to God, His power and His work entirely. You don't want that, Right? You don't have to have it. We can trust. We can rest. We can make progress by Him, with Him, and for Him. But unless we remember by, him, by and with and for, we'll never get off the starting line. And we don't want that. You don't want that. Nobody wants that in your personal lives, in your, per, in your professional lives, in your spiritual lives. There is a better way. God is faithful to trust Him and refuse to let bitterness take over your heart. It begins with praising Him, thanking Him, and depending on Him. Receiving from Him, responding to Him. It's the only way. Let me pray for you. Father, this is, this is such a humbling message. And God, that's exactly what your word was telling us. Deuteronomy, Corinthians, you wanted to humble your people. God, this isn't about bread. It's not about having what we need and, 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 and having the food and the water and the stuff. This is about faith. God, there are days that it doesn't happen like I want it to happen. There are days when he or she are not doing it the way I want them to do it. There are days when it or it they or whatever else is not working like I wanted it to work. And God, I look at you and I complain and I get angry. I forget what you've done. And I discount what you can do. Father, forgive me for that kind of bitterness and arrogance and hard-heartedness. First of all, I want to say thank you for what you have done, God. Thank you for who you've made me to be and who you've put in my life and the church that you've put around me. God, thank you, thank you, thank you. I receive it from you, God, so let me respond to you with gladness and joy that I might see what you can do today because if you're going to be the God you said you're going to be, you're going to provide, you're going to, you're going to protect, you're going to empower, you're going to be there for me. I can put all my trust on you. You're ready to handle it. I just got to give it to you. So God, I pray that 
I pray that everybody else prays that with me. God, rather than fussing, help me to trust. Rather than grumbling, help me to humble. For your glory and for you alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.